Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And as always, joining me here this evening is Adam Keys. Adam, are you ready? I'm ready to go. Okay, question number one. Was it a penalty? On Havertz or Hoyland? Havertz one, yeah. Yes. Okay. Is it time to drop Havertz? Yes. And did Arsenal deserve... Oh no, that's last week's question. I haven't removed that one. <laughs> Is 10 out of 12 points the start we should be happy with? No, we should have beat Fulham. Okay. Good start. So I was expecting a few different answers. Um, one in particular. So we'll, we'll we'll delve into it, and of course we will dissect it in more detail. But Adam, tell me, how are you feeling after the game? How are you doing in general? Yeah, I'm feeling really good after that. I think we just we deserved it in the end. There was things I loved about the performance, things I didn't like, but all in all, I'm I think more relief and kind of that buzz and emotion. So yeah, I'm very happy tonight. How are you? Good. I am good as well. Um I'm yeah, it was like you said, it was a roller coaster of emotions. I was house sitting or co-house sitting with my wife at her uh parents who they they've they've gone over to Turkey for a short break. Um lucky fuckers. And so <laughs> we were left <laughs> we were left house sitting for a few days. Um and yeah, so I was left kind of watching it by myself and she would come into the room every so often to see what the hell is happening because I'd be screaming my head off. So yeah, roller coaster of emotions. But at the end of the day, we got the result um, that we were looking for and actually the result that we deserved. So um, I don't know whether we should delve right into the starting lineup or just... Yeah, I think, I think it's worth a discussion because we, we've mm. always... I think we got what we wanted from the starting 11 today. For the most part, which was yeah, what well, we tell talked me more, about because, last week. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Back four, back where they belong. And actually quite a fascinating, before we talk about starting 11, or we could talk in parallel um, to the press conference that Arteta had during the um, midweek, very vocal about the different um, formations, very vocal about the criticism that he was getting for you know not playing players in their preferred positions what's your take on kind of his response and and how he handled it how do you feel like he came across i loved it i thought it was his best press conference yet when he was talking about getting to work i was like absolutely brilliant these got better every week and i put a tweet out about that so i I like I got what he meant and it is this if we want to continue to evolve and continue to grow and continue to find ways to beat teams you do have to try things and the reality is we should have come away from those three games with nine points 
yes, I think the first Fulham goal last week was a result of system tinkering, but the we had enough to win the game, and it was players switching off in the box that cost us the game ultimately. But had we have come away with nine points and experimented with that system, we would all be calling him a genius because we'd be saying we, he's done the experimentation and we've still got nine points. Yes, we haven't fully clicked, but we've got nine points. And that's so I liked his response. I thought it was good. And I, I think what I liked even more was it wound up everyone that wasn't an Arsenal fan and it wound up the Arsenal crowd on Twitter that hit Arteta. So, yeah, I really liked his response about the M25 and so on. <laughs> I think uh, the, one of the commentators made a reference to that, um, mm. which is, yeah, it's it's nice to see Arteta coming out of his show a little bit more. Don't you think this season he seems to be adapting to that manager role? He <clears> seems to be a little bit more, um, if, if he looks more comfortable as a manager, as opposed to last season. Last season, he was, I guess, more of a friendly face, always, I guess, um, trying to you know, I guess win brownie points, whether it be with the uh, pundits, never, whether it be with the reporters. Now, really? So I, yeah. I, I always got the impression that Arteta was always the nice guy in, in front of the media. But no. this time around, there's a bite to him. No, Arteta's always had a bite. Even that first press conference, the non-negotiables, he came in and you're thinking, this is my kind of bell end. It's like exactly what you want. He's like, from the beginning, I was like, if he wasn't Arsenal manager, I would hit him. And that's what I want from an Arsenal manager. Mm. Same way, it's like Gabriel Jesus. If he doesn't play for your team, you hate him. Hated him at City. Comes to Arsenal, love him. And it's like Gary Neville. I always use as the example. If you have a Gary Neville in your team, you'll love him. You'll adore him. Same with like Gerard, Carragher, John Terry, those kind of players. And I kind of see Arteta having that bite to him as a manager. And I think. There was a stage where Pep was a bit like that. He was feisty. He was he was incredibly arrogant. And I think because of his success, he's kind of tipped over that we just all respect him now. But I like that Arteta's got that fire to him. And I've just never seen him being the nice guy. Or like, even two years ago, he was scrapping with Klopp on the touchline. So, mm. yeah, I, I think he's he looks in his element this year and he looks pretty happy with the squad and the players that he's got. Obviously, we would have liked one more, but I think Arteta looks very confident right now. Yeah, well, look, this is the first time we're talking since the um, conclusion of the transfer window. We were all hoping for one more signing. Instead, we we, we received the horrible news of a Thomas Partey injury. So that worked out well. Um, and so I guess it made the starting lineup that much more interesting. Um, tell me, how were you, well, what were you expecting? And... When we eventually got the starting lineup, what was the overall feeling? Yeah, I think yesterday it came out. It was like a few Twitter accounts. Clearly, there are leaks there. Someone's got a source. Don't know who broke the story. Then the Black Cats put out the the message that he hadn't been selected and that he had an injury. So then Gunnar Blog confirmed that he heard that there was an injury. And then Charles Watts today said that it was a training ground injury and Arsenal were furious with Ghana because they've been trying to keep it quiet and that's why they put pictures out yesterday of party training to try and create a ruse. So it's obviously heartbreaking to lose him and hopefully it is only a couple of weeks he'll be back after the international break but there are rumours of three months so let's wait and see. There's been no confirmation yet so 
I will. Well, Arteta in the uh, pre-match, uh, I guess, interview said it would be a couple of weeks. So do we take his word for it? Hopefully it's a couple of weeks in that case. So, yeah, a couple of weeks is not too bad, given that we've got an international break. But in terms of the lineup, mm. once we knew Party was out, I think we got exactly what I would have wanted. So if Party was fit, I would have gone with him and Rice in midfield and pushed Rice further up. Without him, I would have gone with Havertz, as Arteta did. I think Vieira was great last week, but I, I keep saying this, when you're coming on to change a game, it's very different to coming on to control a game and play your way into it grow into it and the jewels and so on that happen as a starter, as a team trying to assert their dominance are very different to when a team are playing a low block and you're really going at them and there's that intensity to win the game. So I, I like the team Arteta put out. Um, I'm guessing you were very disappointed to see our friend Kai Havertz in the lineup. <laughs> no, not necessarily. I think the main surprise for me was um, not seeing Jesus starting. Since he's, you know, back in training, since he's fully fit, I, I really didn't expect to see him put be put straight back into the starting lineup. But I guess in classic Arteta fashion, you have to earn your right to be um, yeah. number one. And Eddie's been performing really, really well. Um, you know, even, even uh, this afternoon against United... He put in a very, very good performance. One of his best this season, I think. So um, it's going to be really difficult for someone like Jesus to, to just step back in. But I guess this is what we want at Arsenal, don't we? We want a level of competition. We want players to be fighting for places to challenge each other so that they can get the best out of themselves. But aside from Nketiah, very much, you know, I think it uh, picked itself. Uh, really good to see Zinchenko back. And I guess um, it was a, a case of whether, you know, we'd see Tommy back in or Zinchenko. Arteta opted to go for Zinchenko. Very, very encouraging that we've seen the back four for the first time. And if we, I guess, if we dissect and analyse the overall football that we played, um, compare it to the first three games, I think it was a little bit more fluid. I think there was more control. Certainly, um, build-up looked a little, uh, a little bit more pleasing on the eye. So that was nice um, to have that back four back. And actually, it doesn't really matter what um formation it you know we we kind of try to predict or we try to um paint a picture of it's always different it's always different during game time because Inchenko was never playing uh left back um you know for for large parts of the game he was playing very much He's a pretty much all over the place midfielder. but a, a, yeah a, a central midfielder exactly um and actually for the most part in possession we were playing with three at the back so and actually you know even against Fulham it was there were um moments lot you know large moments in the game where which it was just free at the back part a would kind of drift in uh to the middle of the pitch and play alongside um rice so um but yeah on paper i guess on paper most importantly it was good it was encouraging and um it was nice that we were playing a united side who were so fragmented um and they were missing a number of key individuals but also just generally speaking when you look at them on paper um Anthony Martial up front never really poses a threat Rashford playing I out on the wing I mean fine. yeah so yeah yeah I mean you know because he's he, he's never really he's never really delivered the promises that the fans made of no. him you know he's never lived up to the hype so yeah for me he's just 
he's a nothing player. He's someone that I think they would have liked to get rid of during the window. Bit like Maguire. And United have kind of had a similar window to us in the sense that they've struggled to get rid of the players that they wanted to get rid of. I think Martial takes that box. It seems today that Jaden Sancho takes that box because Ten Hag's gone to war with him and Sancho has released a statement saying, don't believe what you hear. So I, I really love it when United are in fighting. So it's uh, <laughs> it's just great to see. And of course, it wasn't anything to do with the players on the pitch. It was all the Glazers' fault today. So, I mean, the Glazers picked the team, mm. went out and played, and it was the Glazers that uh, were just outperformed on the pitch, as Gary Neville pointed out after the game. So nothing to do with Arsenal, yeah. nothing to do with the United players, yeah. Ten Hag, <laughs> all crazy, on the Glazers, isn't it? Like, all on them. 200 million Unbelievable, nah, honestly. Nah, it's the Glazers. What what really shocked me was Ten Hag's um, post match interview on Sky, and you know I was you know we were messaging on WhatsApp, and I was just um, kind of uh, pointing it out to you. I couldn't believe some He's of the things that you were saying. <laughs> I mean, first first things first, they should have had a penalty. Apparently, um, the the offside wasn't offside, even though the lines were drawn. It wasn't offside from a different angle. He was actually onside. Uh, he went on to make some other really ridiculous poor claims. And yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about the game and we're going to kind of um, delve into it in more detail. But if, if 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 he's claiming that they should have had a penalty, then ours was all day long a penalty. And, yeah. and I mean, did you hear what Mike Dean had to say about it? I, I did watch it. I can't remember exactly. I know he said Havertz was a bit soft on second view and he said on the pitch he would have given it. He said first view, yeah, and then the United one. I can't remember. I, I know he said it wasn't a pen. He basically so what he said on said. yeah, but what what he said on um the our penalty claim um who was it Havertz, Havertz right apparently according to him I don't know what match he was watching or whether he was wearing uh um I don't know those things. Those sleeping blinders. things that you wear over the eyes. Blinders. <laughs> I don't know if he was wearing blinders, but um, according to him, uh, Wan-Bissaka never attempted to make the tackle. And he, I don't know how much clearer a player needs to make when he lunges his leg forward. That's a clear indication that he wants to make a challenge. So and I, yeah, I was quite surprised that no one actually challenged him on that. But anyways, anyways, let's let's put that aside and let's talk about the game itself, okay? Because it was a game of two halves and a game I, I you know, I true I truly believe that Arsenal dominated that game, especially in the first half, and I don't think United were anywhere near the standards to be competing against us had it not been for the lack of um you know, taking our chances and uh, maybe not being able to deal with situations as well as, as as we're able to, they wouldn't have had a single goal or they probably wouldn't have had half the chances that they did. Um, yeah, uh, two, a game or two halves, really. The first opening 10 minutes, kind of give me your, yeah, give me your, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Thoughts. Your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on, I mean, on the opening first, 10 minutes. I, I had a weird start to the game, so... It was like we were coming back from a friend's house and it was, I thought we'd be back in time for the game and it was getting to like 25 past so I realized we were still a good 15 minutes from home so I just pulled onto the hard shoulder, told my wife to drive, got in the passenger seat and started streaming the game on the motorway. So um, 
<laughs> but yeah, so it was an interesting way to start the game and um, then straight in, got TV and that. But for me, it was one of those, I thought we started well. We didn't go kind of hell for leather. We were easing our way into it. And all in all, I thought we started the game quite well. Um, but it was 50-50 and I thought we came into it a bit better in the next 10 minutes. So it was... an. In it. <laughs> you all right? <laughs> you know when you drink water and it goes down the wrong pipe. It's just <laughs> I'm trying really hard to keep myself quiet. <laughs> so, yeah, Sorry, yeah, I, you carry on. But yeah, opening ten, I thought we were good. I mean, th- there wasn't anything spectacular there that we're like that was incredible. Um, real moments to write home about. Um, next ten, I thought we grew into it a bit more. And I, I felt we were just growing more and more into the game until that goal came, and it was so against the run of play. United did have more of the ball than us in the first half, so they had 55% of the possession. However, they only had one shot, and they scored from it. So one shot on target, I think they had three in total. So it was one of those games where we were definitely the better team for long, long periods, and I think kind of from maybe 15 minutes onwards, we really started to assert our dominance on the first half. And then the goal changed a lot. And uh, But yeah, what were your early thoughts? Well, I think that Arsenal started off the game. I mean, I, I, I predicted and I hoped that we would start quite strong and with clear intent on scoring. Um and, and and I think that's what happened, especially in the opening minute with Martinelli, um, you know, finding the ball over the top, making a lovely run into the box. There was no one there, uh, there. But those were the indications that showed us, um, you know, we were going to be front footed as opposed to um, you know, sitting off, maybe figuring each other out. Um, really good possession being held by Arsenal, moving the ball in between the lines as well. And someone who did that excellently was Declan Rice. Anytime he picked up the ball, his first initial thought was to move it forward. Mm. It wasn't to stutter. It wasn't to um, see who's behind him or who's playing alongside him. It was immediately playing it forward between the lines. So that was very, very encouraging. Um, United, on the other hand, looked really shaky at the back, you know, struggling to play play the ball out of the back. And this is one of the games where I wouldn't necessarily look at stats and I wouldn't look at um, numbers because although they had you know, a line share of possession in the first half, a lot of that was being played in their first half. I think Sky uh, Sky showed a, uh, a touch map of the touches that they made and, you know, almost 90% of their touches were in their own half. And... Had Arsenal been a little bit more um, intense in the pressing, I understand why we weren't. Because when you've got someone like Anana in goal, and the I guess the position that he was playing in, and the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The pro- progress progression. No, that's not the right word. Yeah, he was um, playing a very that he, it was very much a first phase build up advanced. from him. Advanced, so, but yeah, he that's was the right word I'm looking for. Advanced, outside his box. So yeah, he's super advanced, like super so way, way past his um, box, and yeah, it worked for them because they were able to, um, I guess, see more of the ball. But when push came to shove, and eventually when we did put the burners on them, it was very route one. 
Um, and that was good to see because it showed me that we were playing against a side who were more afraid to play competitively um, and would rather, you know, try the, not necessarily the easy route, but, you know, when you're, when you're, pl- when, when you, when you're confident and when you, when a team is, is, is playing good and basically when a team is good, they play football on the grass, right? They don't need to necessarily lump it up the field. So, yeah, first opening 10 minutes, very controlled stuff. Um, worth well, noting as well. Kind of just on yeah. that point, um, Nana had 56 touches of the ball, played 51 passes. By contrast, Ramsdale had 20, 28 touches and played 21 passes. So that very much feeds mm. into your point about the sheer like, kind of volume of possession within their own box, which or the edge of it. That is a fairly crazy stat for a goalkeeper to have that many touches and that many passes. And he's a lovely ball player. Really, really nice ball player to watch. And one of those, if they do that all season, I think from what I saw today, that they're not a good side. We, we've said that all along. Not a good side. But I think you're right in that, yes, they had a lot of possession, but it, a lot of it was dead possession. I think we were happy to let them have it, sit back, and we weren't pressing them. I think what we saw as well was a bit of an ev- the evolution of pressing. So more and more teams mm. are putting their foot on the ball and inviting the press. <clears throat> and I, I think teams are starting to do it a bit less and try and get teams to come out at them. And when you've got Bur- sorry, Man United, it's the way they're playing, like Burnley. But um, when you've got a team like that <laughs> that are so negative and so transitional, they want to play through the press and they want to hit you on the counter. So um, it, it's very much that. And I think Arsenal did a good job at letting them just play it amongst that back five today and not go anywhere, hoof it long, bypass their midfield. Like, I don't know about you, but Casemiro, who knows what he's been doing today because he hasn't been at the Emirates. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, un- until you mentioned it to me, I didn't actually notice that he was... Actually, it was very, very late on in the game where he played like a... a a long, either a long diagonal ball or a long ball up the pitch, which um, posed a bit of a threat for us. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that you talk about the evolution of pressing because unlike last season or the last few seasons, both City and Arsenal have adopted the idea of pressing really high up the pitch um, and almost without thinking, you know. Whereas this season, I've noticed that Arsenal are very more meticulous they're a bit more calculated it's a it's a bit more of a measured approach as opposed to the moment the opposition get the ball or the moment that we lose the ball we need to go for it and we need to win it back as quickly as possible at one time that was the i guess the norm that was a coaching norm wasn't it when you lose the ball you win it back as quickly as possible now it's more making sure that we're not le- we're not leaving gaps we're not uh, we're structured well enough and also the opposition everyone's adapted this um, playing out from the back method we need to make sure that we're not we're not feeding into their approach because um, you know Arsenal did this last season where we would want to invite players in so that we can play around them. It's easier for us to beat that midfield. Um, so yeah, good to see that Odegaard for one was constant. But you, it's okay for one player to be applying constant pressure. You you don't want two or three, um, and so. In in contrast to the uh, defensive side of the game, going forward, um, we have to talk about Bukayo Saka because, you know, he won the um, PFA Young Player of the Year award. 
and unfortunately <laughs> wasn't able to match up with the performance. I, I, I have my, um, I guess, explanations for why that, that was, but why do you think he was unable to shine? I think Dalu had a good game defensively against him. Um, United doubled up on him a lot, as we expected. It, it's a funny one with Saka because I don't think he had a bad game. I think he didn't have a good Saka game. And I think that's the standards we talk about with him now. He is usually an 8 or 9 out of 10, and today he was probably a 7. And if another winger had that... Do you know something? I thought Anthony had a really good game today. Bikayo Saka did everything and more that Anthony did. But that, that's the standards that the two of them are held to. So a 6 out of 10 for Saka is a 9 out of 10 for Anthony. And a 10 out of 10 for Saka is probably off the scale for Anthony. I will never see it. But I felt we weren't getting a lot of joy down that side. It was very congested. Um, I thought he was good on the ball, but there were some loose touches. And there were times as well where Odegaard frustrated with how quickly he released the ball and was a bit greedy on usually. And um, a couple of times where I felt he could have played Saka in, but one of the weird game because I, I didn't think he was bad. I just didn't think he had a good game by his standards. And I think that's the that's a crazy thing because two years ago, we would have been saying about how good Saka was. And actually, I think it's just how good he's become, how much he carries the team. But in many ways, that's not a bad thing. We've come away with a 3-1 win. And we're not talking about Saka being incredible because... Again, last season, for large periods, it would have been Saka that we needed to perform, and if he didn't, we wouldn't have won. So, actually, Odegaard stepped up when we needed him to. Rice was phenomenal, and those things are showing how we're progressing and growing as a team. But, but yeah, what were your thoughts around Saka? Well, I, I just wanted to say that it was worth noting in the opening 10 minutes, Saka was barely seeing the ball. Um, and, and I think the reason why was because any time he <coughs> was seen... Uh, on the side, you know, either receiving the ball or in in and in and in and amongst uh, the play, he was often marked out by two men. So Dallow was there. Rashford would, would often run back as well. It wasn't until later in the game where Anthony realised he needed to track back in order to deal with Martinelli. Um, but Martinelli had so much freedom today, and I think that's another element to our um, to, to our play. You know, when when. This is this is what Arteta is trying to do very much this season. It's playing the unpredictability game. It's trying to make us um, come out with with as many angles as possible. So last season, you know, you would very much expect Saka to to to, to receive the ball white overload, um, and you know, for that to be kind of the main channel that we go down. Now it's one game maybe we'll go down that right hand side but we might also go down the left hand side because we're more than capable of doing that one game maybe we play white at right back but we might play him at center back so it is very much i feel like this season anyway in order to maximize the three points in every game it's about making sure we're one step ahead of the opposition because you know it's it's it's, it's um very much how the old saying goes failure to prepare is preparing to fail 
Yeah. Um, and throughout the throughout the week, throughout the seven days, the opposition side is going to be working on. They're going to be analysing clip after clip, video after video, game after game to try and figure out what you're going to do to position themselves as strongly as possible to beat you. And so, if Arteta has, you know, five, ten different plays in his in his um, in his game plan, it makes it almost impossible for the opposition to figure us out. So mm. that's why I thought it Saka necessarily didn't need to be the center. He didn't need to be um he didn't need to, you know, uh, be the, the 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 man of the of the game or I don't know what saying I'm trying to say. Um but yeah. Yeah, and Jesus didn't need to be on the pitch. Part A didn't need to be on the pitch. You think back to last season, how many games where when we didn't have one player from that starting eleven, and we would, as a fan base, we would we would crumble. Ooh, it would panic. be you know really worrying times for us, right? Yeah. Now we've had so many different variations already, but still, you know, uh, was it ten out of twelve points in the first yeah. opening four games? Not bad, you know, considering. Um, so yeah, uh, but we 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 will unfortunately have to talk about um, your best mate, Kai Havertz. Kai. <laughs> because there was there was a yeah, moment in the game wait to text where me whenever that passed, it was like <laughs> I was waiting for it. It was co- I knew it was coming, and it was. Yeah. I mean, even I couldn't defend him with that. It was, Do you know what happened? Do you know what happened? Right. So the moment that pass was made, everything you had said about him, all the pros, all the benefits, they're all kind of echoing through my brain. Um, and I, I, it was just unforgivable. But before that. He did yeah. have a really, really good opportunity to put oh, us one 0 And that up. one again, I, 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 you know, something I keep hearing people say about Havertz ball striking ability. That to me is something that I don't quite see in Havertz yet. I think he's got the potential to be a good ball striker, and obviously you get the comparisons to RVP. I watched RVP from mm. he joined Arsenal, and from the day he joined the club, when he struck a ball, you knew it. He was such a clean striker of the ball. I've just never seen that in Havertz. And um, when that chance fell to him, I don't know how he missed that. He just, he scuffed it so badly that it actually kind of floats to Nkeria. And it was just bizarre. And it was in such a good area. Do you think he was trying too hard to strike it? I don't know. I mean, you have to remember this is a professional footballer that's, playing at the absolute elite level so saying he's trying too hard to strike it i don't know i think it's inexcusable we can try and find a reason for it all day long but at the end of the day he's completely missed the ball it's like one of the worst scuffs you'll see yeah because it's so unfortunate that it didn't result into a goal because at the beginning of that play it was rice that starts to move with a a sumptuous challenge to win the ball and to play it forward. And actually, in the opening half an hour, Rice made, I think, three or four excellent challenges in the game, like some really aggressive, but also there was a lot of conviction in the challenges that he was making. Um, you know, central in, again, winning the ball, moving it forward, the intensity as well, really, really excellent. I felt like he set the tempo of the game. Um, and yeah, it was a little concerning for me. We got to about, you know, the minute 20, 23rd minute, and we hadn't scored. And it was, you know, I, I made a note of this. We were risking giving them a moment in the game to build momentum to get back in the game. Or just one little scenario was enough for them to, 
you know make something happen um and so and you could you could feel it in the stadium as well well i was we weren't in the stadium but you could feel it through the television the pressure yeah. was mounting and massively you know, the fans were beginning to get frustrated the ref um talking to you know onana about time wasting anthony kicking the ball away all these little things were really making the fans kind of rile up um and then you know when when you feel when when, when you felt like arsenal were going to score at any given moment the worst thing happened mm. and rashford scored um so you talk, talk to me about the goal um try and break it down for me try and you know make me make sense of it because when for a team who was possessing as much as we were how does that happen well, I think we had really like pressed them into that corner and we had won the ball back. And then it's such a lazy pass from Havertz. I think that's the bit that really frustrated me. It was just kind of flung a leg at it when he didn't need to. He could have taken a touch. He could have brought people into the game and he could have like, he could have done so many things other than what he did. Instead, he's played a kind of straight ball without any pace on it in the air as well, where it's more like it's very likely to be caught out at a really nice height. And Ericsson comes through and he carries it far too easily through the middle of the park. And look, Christian Ericsson's a phenomenal passer of the ball. We, we've known that for years. So it's knocking on, what, 14 years that he's been playing these kind of balls. And we know how good he is on the deck. We know what he can do creatively. And the minute Rashford gets going, you just know where he's going. He's such a direct player. I thought Ben White was poor in the way he backed off. I didn't think Saliba was overly strong either because Saliba kind of drops in behind White. And um, rather than the two of them facing up to him, it was as if we had one behind the other. And I didn't like the positioning of the two of them together. And um, it, there's also an element of luck to it because it's not the best strike from Rashford. And Ramsdale does get a hand to it. So... But it, it kind of felt like there was an inevitability to it in the sense that we were under like pushing and pushing and pushing. And you just knew United's only out ball here is to get it down to Rashford down that left hand side. And the minute it happened, it was like, this is what's going to happen. And it did. So I was gutted when it happened. And it was obviously I got the text from you straight yeah, tell away. Me, tell me a little bit more about how you were actually <laughs> feeling. Yeah, I was like, I was gutted. It was just one of those. I text you, I text my other mate, and it was like, just gutted that it had happened. And it's, I think, more annoyed because it's that same thing we keep talking about is being far too easy to play through. And City dominate teams. They press them and they press them and they pin them back. And they just keep forcing those low block, block kind of anti football teams back. And we were doing that to United and instead we've just one ball has completely cut us open and we've conceded a goal that we've seen far too many of over the last 18 months. So it's definitely, if we can improve that, I think we become a top, top side. The issue is if you don't improve that in tight games, they can decide it. And so I think I had the fear when it went in more than anything being like, after dropping points to Fulham, it was like, how have we conceded that? Should have been more switched on. We should have allowed for, we should have had someone in the middle of the park and so on. But obviously Rice has won the challenge and he's high up the park, which leaves that space in the middle. And um, I'm not sure if it's him trying to recover or Havertz running back, but they're quite a bit off Ericsson and there's a huge space to exploit down there. And 
I think it was a lesson to be learned, but we responded quickly. And that's what I want to see more than anything. So I think we really caught United off guard with our response. And what a goal to respond with. I mean, you talk about classic Arsenal goals. You talk about, you know, the way that we move the ball and, you know, Wenger-esque or uh, Arteta-style type of goals. This was right up there, wasn't it? 100%. It's it's one of those by Martinelli, lovely, lovely flick, just like so effortless. And um, then Mm. he obviously keeps keeps running and he does so well because he doesn't break his stride when he plays that pass into Odegaard. He looks up and he, he keeps running and it's a very natural movement and he picks him out in amongst a big bunch of players straight into the bottom corner and it was one of those, as he was rolling it back, I thought he's going to score here and it was just one of those, it's a real captain's moment when we needed him most and because he was having a frustrating game, he was... United were getting really, really tight to him. And it was one of those that you kind of need... They're the moments that players like Odegaard are going to be judged on whenever it comes to the end of the season. It's like the big, big moments when you need your captain the most. And Odegaard has a criticism for disappearing in big games, and which I've always felt is harsh because actually a lot of the times where he's been criticised, he's still had a lot of the ball. He's just not at any magic moments. And... I felt today that was one of those real magic moments that we saw against Chelsea. We saw it against Newcastle and it was exactly what we needed. And just a beautiful finish. And one of those, like, there's something about a goal from outside the box as well. And there was venom in the strike. There was mm. just yeah. superb, superb. Yeah. What I really enjoyed about this goal was Eddie Nketiah's touch. And if we look back at the game, there were moments in the in many moments in the game where he was just so sharp in knowing what he wanted to do before he received the ball. Um, Zinchenko plays the ball to him and it's that first time pass where he feeds it into Martinelli. Martinelli takes a touch and feeds it back to Odegaard. But it's the it's it's kind of it set it set the tempo of that goal. It was so well maneuvered. If Eddie doesn't make that pass the way that he makes it, maybe Odegaard never receives the ball. But because the tempo of that play is set from that pass. It allows that whole scenario to play out the way it does. Very similarly, mm. when um, when we're talking about the penalty situation, again, it's it's a lovely pass, I think, from um, Declan Rice into Rice Eddie. Me, Eddie yeah. takes a touch, sh- shifts away from um, the two United players. I think it's Anthony and somebody else. Yeah, sorry. No, it's, 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 it's Anthony and, and somebody else. I'm talking about the, the just before um, Eddie passes it to Havertz. Oh, Eddie right, has to okay. shift his self across the goal. And what he does, it's really clever. He, he, he makes the run across the pitch, allowing Rice to run into the space. So when you pause um, the video just before Havertz receives the ball, you've got Havertz and Rice both of them charging into the box. Um, the ball's played inch perfectly as well to Havertz, who who needs to take only a touch to put it in front of him. Does it, um, and I guess it brings us to this point of the podcast where we can discuss whether it was a penalty or not. At the beginning, you said that you felt like it was a penalty. Um, it, on a scale of 
it was absolutely a penalty and it and 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 on the other side um it was a it would have been a really harsh one had it been given where do you kind of sit i didn't celebrate whenever it was given because i thought it could be overturned so that that's what my gut said i thought it was harsh that it was overturned and i thought there was enough contact to force havertz down but i would have been really annoyed if we considered it so i think it was a penalty but marginally a penalty in the way that United got their pen for Rashford last week. There is contact on Rashford last week, but it's minimal and it's enough to take him down. And I think the thing that really annoys me about the slow-mo with football, football's not played in slow motion. So if you're running full pelt at any level of the game and someone catches you very, very softly, it can completely mess your kind of, it, it knocks your balance, it, affects your momentum everything and there's two players coming in so it's not just the one and he is caught by both players and yes his trailing leg catches i think it's Juan Bissaka. but for me i felt it was very harsh that it was overturned and at the full-time analysis gary neville actually said that he thought it was very harsh that it was overturned and even during the game gary neville was saying that it would be harsh to overturn it so he thought it was a soft one, as did I. And I, I did have that fear it would be overturned. But at the same time, I thought there was enough in it that it should have stayed and should have been given. So, so yeah, w- what were your thoughts? That sound can only mean one thing. We've arrived at the halfway point. Well, actually, we arrived at the halfway point before we started talking about the um, the penalty <laughs> situation. I thought that happened in the first half. Then I realized, oh, hold on no, a minute. No, it actually happened in the second half. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, I'll answer your question um, as to what I thought on the whole Havertz um, penalty. And then we can talk about Eddie and Ketia because I don't think we've... Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think we've given him his accolades... Um, you know, he, I, I think he, he deserves a whole section because uh, me, I, I don't know about you, but I've been really critical of Eddie and I think I've been critical of Eddie in the fatherly kind of sense where I want him to perform at his best. I want him to be the player who we know he can be. Um, it's kind of never happened the way that we thought it would, but I think we're slowly starting to see the Eddie and Ketio that we've been hoping to see for the last few years. Anyway, the penalty situation. So, to my understanding, if contact is made in the box, a player has the right to go down, regardless of how soft or how hard, how hard the contact is. If contact is made, a player has the right to go down. Okay, That is, um, by definition, what a penalty situation is. Now, since, cast your mind back to a few years ago, when... Jimenez, um, we were playing Wolves at the Emirates Stadium. Jimenez suffered a terrible head injury and David Luiz got himself sent off for clipping his stud on the, I don't know who it was at the time who fell, who fell, who fell over, but it clipped his knee. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Minimal contact. We're talking inches, right? Since that situation has happened, anything goes. Okay. Now, I don't understand what Mike Dean's um, explanation of this is, how he 
seems to think that the first number one, Wambasaka, doesn't go for the challenge when he does. He sticks his leg forward. Number two, there are people that are saying um, Havertz trips himself up or his, his, his trailing leg makes contact with himself. It doesn't. His trailing leg makes contact with Wambasaka. And as you rightly mentioned, the, the, the clip that we're being shown and the referee at the time um, is a slow-mo, is, is, is in slow motion. And we know that football isn't played at that pace. So imagine mm. running at, you know, I imagine um, the pace that he's running at is quite fast. Any bit of contact is bound to put a player off from his, 100%. you know, normal running route. So, yeah, it's really, un I, I can't seem to understand. And do you know what really surprised me is how quickly the decision was made. The moment he went over to the to the... TV screen. Oh, yeah, he only like needed that. to look at it once or twice. It was so quick. Um, and yeah, I, I, I didn't for a second think that he would give it to us anyway. Um, it just seems that whenever we're playing against United, something tends to go against us. But yeah, that penalty decision goes against us. Um, and I'll ask you what your thoughts are, how how you how you kind of felt after that. But before we do that, Eddie and Katia discuss. How do you evaluate his performance this game? And um, is he someone who should be in the starting lineup after the international break? Big question. Um, I guess first on his performance. I thought he was really good. I wanted him to start going into the game. I tweeted about it this morning saying that even if Jesus was fully fit and rearing to go, I thought Eddie had earned it. And I think there is something in keeping players in the team when they have earned it and they've, he's been one of our best players this season and today I thought he earned, he led the line really well he got snapped by Martinez and I was buzzing to see Martinez being forced off injured after trying to injure Enkeria because we see this time and time mm. again from him where he keeps taking players out around the knees and going in really high with the ball quite a bit away so it's just he he's a horrible little player and it's funny, the more I watch him, I did rate him for quite a long time. The more I watch him, the less I think his technical ability is actually that high. And it does make me wonder why Arteta was so keen to get him. So he, if he was wearing an Arsenal shirt, he'd be sent off every week. But he, I thought Enkedia, all in all, very, very good. There was that one moment, I think it's in the first half, where um, Lindelof switches off and it's a, the long ball. And Enkedia drives forward down the line, ends up getting ahead to it, getting past Lindelof, and he ends up kind of kicking yeah. him in the chest. And I, at that point, Eddie was struggling to get into the game. He was, people were getting very close to him. It was just one of those where he was working hard. He was doing a good job when he had the ball. He was protecting it well, but he wasn't, wasn't doing anything kind of electric. And I felt that moment helped lift the crowd and lift everyone around him and, it showed like this United team aren't that good, and they had were we were pinned into our own half at this stage, and it just lifted everyone, and that to me was a changing point in Eddie's performance, and I felt that he didn't get many sniffs at goal today, but he just worked his socks off, and he went wide, he he ran the channels, he linked play well, he held up play very well, and just the strength of him whenever he's got a player, I. It used to be if he went around the outside, he could be knocked off the ball. There's no chance of that now. He's got so good at protecting the ball. And these are all things that we've seen. We see Saka do that. We see Martinelli do that. And before Arteta came to Arsenal, we heard about how good he was with Sterling and Sané. 
clearly when players are in wide areas, Arteta is really, really good at coaching them how to protect the ball. And yeah, I thought Enkedia was really good today. But to your next question, should he start next week? I thought Gabriel Jesus was immense when he came on. It was kind of reminded me of what we forget about with Jesus. There was a few dribbles in there. There were some really, really nice touches, the strength, the tenacity, and just running and dribbling in the box, causing that havoc. And it's so all honestly, going with my gut, I would start Jesus in the next game just because I thought he was so good when he came on today. And I thought he lifted the intensity and lifted our level alongside Fabio Vieira. So I would go with him over in Keria. But that would be very harsh on Eddie. But it, it it's a ruthless team to be playing in. So, so yeah. But let's see what Arteta does. Yeah, it'll be interesting because we know we've got the international break and Eddie's going with England. So he might have a standout um, sort of few games with them. Maybe he might come off the bench and score a goal. That again, it's all about momentum now, isn't it, for, for certain players? And we'll be keeping a close eye on individuals going away um, with their respective nations. Um, okay, swaying away from Eddie and Katia, I do want to have a, a, a conversation about our set pieces in particular in particular corners yeah i don't know how many corners arsenal had and th- this is something that martinelli did really really well against uh wampasaka anytime that he knew he wasn't going to be able to beat him when he's gone right down to the byline he would just um uh, kick it out for a corner and he did it so intelligently so well so i'm just trying to find how many corners we had um and i don't know whether you know adam the corner stat, but it was well, we, a bloody we had 12 lot. corners. Right, 12 corners. And how many of those, I mean, aside from that very final one, how many of those were, you know, put into good use? What was really frustrating me was how <laughs> we were we, we were putting them in all different places of that box. It, there, were, there were short corners. There were ones in the back post. There were near post ones. There were ones in the middle um, of the box. For some reason, none of them come in off. And you give opposition teams corners against us. And for some reason, you know, they they managed to score with a very few uh, amount being taken. So what's happening? I mean, you know, last season we were, we were quite good. No, we, we, we had a, a thing ha- uh, going on with these set pieces. Yeah, it's a last year we kind of had two halves with set pieces. First half of the season really good, second half of the season very poor, and the year before we were fantastic with corners. But I don't know if today we were trying to mix it up too much or what it was, but we hit the first man quite a few times and we just didn't seem to be able to drop the ball in, especially Martinelli's corners. Saka had a few good ones. Rice obviously had that really, really good chance in the first half that he should have scored from where he headed it over. And that was off a delicious Saka delivery. But yeah, we don't look as dominant from set pieces. But then again, the the winner came from a set piece. So, Mm. So yeah, it was a weird day with our set pieces. And that battle down the right of Martinelli and Wan-Bissaka, if that was a year ago, I'd be like, great, another corner, another corner. But our deliveries were so poor that every time 
I was thinking maybe just go at him that bit harder, go at him with that bit more furiosity. It was just, yeah, it was frustrating watching our corners and even the commentary were picking up on it and how many times has he done that today? Then we had some spells where Odegaard would come out and they'd play a short corner, but we just didn't seem to be able to get them clicking today and it was mainly from the delivery aspect. It was that, and there were a few times that Saliba actually stayed back as well. So yeah, interesting one with, the, the corners today. I don't quite know what was going on, but hopefully that's something that we mm. fix soon because it's a big part of our game and we've got some big bodies to attack the ball now. Yeah, well, for a team who's managing to uh, rack up, you know, 12 corners in a game, it's, uh, you know, you, you think about other teams who are efficient at corners They'll be scoring two or three from the amount of corners that we we, we had in that game. Um, okay, let's talk about the final, I guess, 20 minutes of the game. United bring on Hoyland. Um, they also bring on Maguire as well. Mm. So, and it did change the dynamics of the game. I feel like Hoyland coming on did add an element of competitiveness and a bit of uh, sort of physicality, especially between him and Gabriel. I mean, they were both all over each other. Um, Ten Hag claiming that Gabriel fouled Hoyland in the box and they should have been given a penalty. Arteta, on the other hand, waited a little bit, I think five, six minutes before bringing on, made a free changes. Um, mm. brought on Jesus, Fiera and Tomiyasu. Do you think those were the right changes to be made at that point in the game? Yeah, I, I thought I, I probably wouldn't have brought Tomiyasu on, but I thought he was really good when he came on. Really, really impressed with his performance. Felt he gave us a bit of solidity. And I didn't think Zinchenko had his best game today. I think he's still coming back from injury. And he definitely wasn't at his kind of like ever-present, five yards away, kind of superhuman pass machine best. And so, yeah, when he came off, it was probably the right time. The game was, we were starting to increase the intensity and so on. So it was probably the right time. I probably would have made the subs five minutes earlier, but ultimately he got it right. And I thought Vieira was really good when he came on. And Jesus, as I've said, just he, he was the level raiser for me. Yeah, and one player who didn't come on, well, there were two, um, but one in particular, Mill Smith-Rowe, who many were expecting to maybe go out on loan or maybe go out on a permanent move, stays at the club but doesn't appear. Instead, Reese Nelson comes on right at the very end. What does Mill Smith-Rowe need to do in order to get some game time? Because this game, I felt like, was screaming out for him. Someone who's going to be, you know, running at players... Uh, who's going to be, you know, doing something to get the ball into the box. He's, he, he's, he strikes me as one of those types of players who has that in him. Fresh pair of legs can uh, spark some, some kind of magic on the edge of the box. Yeah, I don't know what he has to do. Um, we obviously talked about him on Thursday on uh, the 15-minute show. I really don't know what Smith Rowe needs to do to get game time. But honestly, if I was Mikel Arteta and it was a flip of the coin today between Arteta and Vieira, I would have put Vieira on given his performance against Fulham last week. So I think it's one of those we've won the game and Vieira's been one of the big factors in us getting that result. So it's harsh on Smith Rowe. I don't know. I have no idea. Honestly, I have no idea what's going on there. 
and he seems a long way from getting minutes for Arsenal. Maybe against Everton, we will see him on the pitch. But the the issue is he's played so few minutes for us over the last 18 months that if you're in a high-pressured situation like we were today, can you as a manager really trust him to throw him in? So we're all remembering the kind of the Smith Rowe what is like close control, pacey energy let raise in, like good finishing, arriving late in the box, all those things that happened within a kind of six-month period. But the reality is they haven't happened for 18 months. We have no idea really how sharp Smith Rowe is at the minute, what's going on in training, how hard he's working, all those things. And like, that's not to say he's not doing anything like that. It's we genuinely have absolutely no idea about Smith Rowe at this time. And he could be working his socks off and it could be that Arteta's training him to do a specific role and doesn't want to throw him in and have him doing other things outside that. Or it could just be that he actually doesn't rate him. But right now, we do not know. So I have no yeah. idea because I agree with you. I think today felt like the kind of game where he could excel. Mm. Yeah, and especially when, you know, situation happened where Saka misses an absolute sitter, the ball needed to be in the back of the net. There was that moment, wasn't there, where, you know, we're working... Um, Martinelli does excellent dribbling through two United shirts, finds its way over to Odegaard, puts it into White. White plays as a lovely ball across the face of goal. Saka makes a contact that just does, doesn't have any conviction to it. And then Anana somehow saves it. At that moment, are you thinking, you know, we're playing, we're, we're, we're essentially playing either for a draw here or trying to hang on because it doesn't seem like anything we do is, is working. Yeah, there, there was a point... It was just before United scored where I was thinking this is going to finish one each. And I was getting a bit frustrated because I felt that we were playing, we had taken the emotion out of the game. We were trying to play in a very mature way and control them and grind them down. And I wanted to see a bit of last year's intensity. And we had just had the Saka miss. And I, I don't know how Saka missed that. I think if Saka scored that, we would be talking about how good he was. Whereas actually, it fed into him not having a good Saka game. But but yeah, I very much thought this is going to finish one each. And then Garnacho runs through, just as I was thinking that, and scores. And I was I was furious when that went in. I don't know about you, but you, my, my gut said he was offside. But then when there seemed to be no flag at all, I was thinking, he's onside. This is 2-1. What were your thoughts on that? Um, I don't know what was going through my head at the time. I was screaming my head off, <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, "It was as it was as if you know, um, in Star Wars, where um, Darth Vader tells Luke Skywalker, I am your father,' and he goes, no So that's that was exactly me in the livery. I was like, "No!" Just screaming <laughs> at the top of my lungs, and um, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't understand how he was able to run in on goal with so much space and what really irritated me and i made a note of this five minutes before um was it five minutes before i think it might have been a couple of minutes before he he went on to score there were five minutes to go and um martinelli we, there, there's a there's a situation where we can pose a counter-attacking threat instead martinelli decides to 
totally slow down the tempo of the game and pass the ball back instead of exploiting that situation. Um, United just looked a little bit more eager to get a late goal because they, they, they probably know in the back of their head they've played so poorly yet they're still in the game. And then I'm just, I'm just pulling up the goal now just to have a look at it and so I can talk through. Um, it's, it's really naive from Arsenal. We kind of just switch off. And I feel like, I mean, to be fair to them, they gave it a hundred miles an hour throughout, you know, pretty much 90 minutes of that game. They gave it their all. They were playing at such a high tempo with so much intensity. Their legs were probably gone, um, during that phase of the game. So, um, it was, I mean, it was good play from United. A uh, lovely flick by Hoyland to um, Fernandez, And I guess Garnacho is at the right place at the right time. Makes the perfect run. Um, he's running in on goal and I'm just praying, you know, this doesn't go into the back of the net. Please, somehow. Can Ramsdale do a little bit better? Can he make himself a little bit bigger? I don't know. But it's, it's a good finish. Slots I, it I, in. I don't think it's goes into the corner. He kind of he's very hesitant to come out, and he stays yeah. in his box. And I guess he's trying to make Garnacho make the decision, but he picked exactly the right choice. But the um, the pass from Casemiro was honestly the first thing. Casemiro actually touched the ball a lot today, which shows how many sideways and backwards passes he made. But that pass through was one of the first times I actually noticed him on the pitch. I just thought he was really Was it Casemiro who made that final ball? Yeah, I think so. Mm, yeah, okay. Casemiro played the three ball. Hoyland's flick, Casemiro's three ball, and Garnacho went in goal. But mm. I think um, Ramsdale could have done better. He could have come out faster. He's obviously made a decision to hold and try and give the striker the eyes. It didn't work, but... What was interesting, have you seen the replays of Gabriel? He literally like stops to pull himself back and stands to try and play the offside. And um, his movement basically kind of freezes himself and stops running. And um, that's what's caught him offside. So it was actually a really, really good piece of play from Gabriel that led to the offside. And it was one of those, Ooh, I mean, yeah. Ten Hag says that the lines were drawn wrong, but... Look, if if it's offside, it's offside. We we all have these moments where you get a frustrating goal where it's just about off. But I mean, you can't argue with it. It's it's one of those the lines are there. That's as close as we're ever going to get. And yeah, I think there was a huge sigh of relief when that offside appeared in the screen. I don't know about you, but I suddenly had this sense of relief and thought, right, let's go for it now. Let's like kick on and get going and try and up the level. Yeah, very much edge of the seats kind of thing um, when 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 the goal got disallowed. And actually, when Reese Nelson came on, that was the moment for me when I was like, right, come on. You know, we with. know what this time is all about. <laughs> yeah, we know what's going to happen now. Very frantic end to the game. There were eight minutes added on. And I think after uh, four minutes of those minutes, four of those minutes were played, we were throwing absolutely everything at United on the edge of the box, playing it from one side to the other. Um, Reese Nelson, Tommy Asu, very much involved in 
and and also um, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been Martinelli; it was somebody else on that side. But um, yeah, they were very much involved in kind of trying to get the ball in the box, play in behind, um, and it was Odegaard's shot uh, which wins us the corner. When he took that shot. I was like, why? I, you know, I, I was screaming see, in the sky, why? I didn't see the touch. And then whenever it went for a corner... I didn't see the touch relief. either. I thought it was just a poor shot. Yeah, same. So, but yeah, when the corner went in, it was one of those. I mean, there's a lot of United fans up in arms that it's a block. My mate just texts me saying, he's not trying to sound bitter, but Johnny Evans was blocked. And I, I've been looking for the block. And I mean, if you're going to disallow a goal for... That I think it's six and two. Both players are grappling with each other, and that's two defenders in the box. But I don't know about you, but when Rice controls the ball, I thought he did a really good job because it's like too low to head it and too high to chest it. So he can kind of only like push it back up with his head to try and get like some control on it. And um, then it just he seemed to have all this time. And it was like everything slowed down and then he smashes that ball. Obviously, the deflection happens and Onana was having a go at the crowd the whole way through the game. So I was buzzing to see him concede yeah. that because I actually think he should do a lot better with the save. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know where this block, um, supposed block is, is happening because Evans is... He's got the freedom to run and circle himself around Gabriel. I'm just watching it on loop now just to see where this block happens. There's no necessarily block. I mean, they're both in there. They're both tussling. They've both got their hands on each other. Evans, when the ball is being delivered into the box, he has the ability to run backwards. That ball is way too high for anyone to get to. The only person who's going to get to it is Declan Rice because Declan Rice is the only man there in that position to pick up the ball and you know he says it himself that ball is far too high I've literally just paused it um kind of a millisecond before he's about to make contact with it and he in his um uh, post-match interview with Sky he said that he actually chests chests not chests it but he uh, brings it down with his um with his chin so yeah. that, that goes to show how high that ball that ball was so excellent bit of technical play to bring the ball down and as you said time just stops and again i've just paused it just at the second where he's about to release and you can see he's loading up to just unleash and the power of that shot is so well hit that it manages to deflect off evans off um anana and still make its way into the back of the net and at that moment you know i'm guessing you are kind of you just lost it oh um, mental especially being declan rice as well right Hundred percent. I think it was just he was so good today. He was so dominant in the middle, but I also felt he was really calming. And the big thing was, I felt that you know with Bournemouth and Villa last season, we just had this like piling on like energy, 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 like nonstop, full throttle. Everyone like supercharged players getting the crowd up for it and everything. I felt today there was the opposite. They just had this like trust. I was like going mad because I was thinking like, come on boys, like a bit more energy, a bit more enthusiasm. Mm. This is walking pace. And I guess it's showed the maturity of the team. We really took the emotion out of that. And then obviously we celebrated 
But when it went in, I think because it was Rice and he had such a good game and it was kind of his I'm here moment, that for me was just, I was buzzing. I was like, like jumping around the room, like just like a big kid like we all are. It is crazy. Like we yeah. put all our happiness in the hands of footballers kicking a ball around the pitch that we have absolutely no control of. And when that ball went in, it was just... But then there's always the fear of like the VAR, will it be overturned and everything? So it's like go mad for like 10 seconds and it's like, is it going to be overturned? And then it's <laughs> like, it was quite clear. But I mean, I've I've had a look whilst we've been talking at that Johnny Evans block and I can't see a block that's worthy of pulling play back and stopping a goal. But it's, and again, it's, I said this about the Ben White incident last year. That one still winds me up at Leicester. If those are kind of the decisions that are going to stop goals, the football is going to be ruined by them. And if we had a had a goal overturned by a decision like that, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I think you're bang on with what you said. He's still got time to run. And I think maybe, yeah, he can't turn, but he's not going to win the ball anyway. And I think it's very easy to say, oh, there's a man 10 yards away who was being pulled back. You're in the box with corners. Every player is grappling with each other in some sense. And it's your job as a defender. Johnny Evans is 35 years old. I've been watching him since he was about 17 when he broke into the Northern Ireland side and he was on loan at Royal Antwerp. And he's a strong defender. He's a shrewd defender. He, If he's being blocked, Johnny Evans is wise enough to be able to shake his man off. And that for me is just no way is that a foul. It was just a huge moment and it was funny how quickly every pundit laughed it off as well whenever Ten Hag was saying it was a block. It was like, no, it wasn't, mate. Like, you've lost the game. Just, like, it's one of those... Yeah, I think I would have more respect for Ten Hag if he wasn't such a bellend. Like, he's... Mm. I think it was first game of the season, they had that incident with the Unana where he, he comes out, clatters his man, and they should have considered a penalty. I think it might have been against Wolves. And um, yeah. then he comes out, and him and Bruno Fernandes are both like, Nana and I think Bruno as well. Definitely not a pen. He And like justifies, if he came out that week and said, we got away with one, might have thought, right, fair enough. Because that happens in football. You do get some that you're like, we should have. But today, I thought Saka was a bit lucky because he did have a second nibble at Fernandez whenever he tackled him, mm. and he was rightly booked. But I thought, like, on another day, you might get a bit more for that. But I think, like, Ten Hag, he does himself no favors because he came out and did that and said that after the first game. Then the next week against Spurs, he's like, we should have had a penalty. Refer- and it's like, you can't be adamant when you've got away with one. And then the next week, be adamant when you haven't got a decision in your favor. So I think we saw it again today, just what a sore loser he is. And he's just, he plays horrible football. He's, I just can't stand him, to be honest. He's very quickly becoming the manager in the Prem that I like the least. Like with Jose Mourinho, he wound me up to no end. But I've always had this soft spot for Mourinho and that I hate him but he's funny and he's antagonistic and he's got all those things that you don't like. But kind of, if he was my manager, I would like it. Whereas Ten Hag, I'm looking at him, I'm seeing the stuff United fans say about him. 
the things he says in interviews, the football he plays, I'm thinking I wouldn't want him anywhere near Arsenal. Yeah, he's well out of depth. I think it's it's clear to see. I've got this one friend, um, United friend, and um, we grew up together. We uh, we were in primary school together, and uh, he moved to Norway. We recently got back in touch with each other. So any time anything happens between either United or Arsenal, we're always kind of bantering each other, taking the piss out of each other. So I haven't messaged him yet, but I will do. And every time we have this Arteta versus Ten Hag debate, he's fixated. He's absolutely convinced that Eric Ten Hag is a genius <laughs> somehow. Um, because he's, he's managed Ajax, he has to be a genius. But, you know, um, we don't need to worry about that because he's not our manager. Um, and 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 just just before we 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 end the podcast, there's a, there was a, another goal to talk about. But at the at that moment when we scored that second goal, did you think that was it? You know, there's no way that either they're going to come back or anything else is going to happen. We just see this game out. Yeah, I think what I really liked was whilst I would have liked more intensity, I thought it was really mature. We took the emotion out of it, and when we celebrated we really celebrated in the corner rice obviously full of passion running into the fans and yeah. um, getting that like the love from the arsenal crowd the rice rice baby and everything but we settled mm. so fast again we went straight from that to like switch on back in the game focus not letting united do anything and then that ball comes to fabio vieira and it was reminiscent of villa last season where vieira in the same position in, it was Jesus running through instead of Martinelli. And then Jesus absolutely does Dallow. Like he's, <laughs> he, he just like, Dallow had had a really good game today. I thought he was excellent. And for Jesus to do him that way at the end of the game. And what a confidence boost that'll be for Jesus as well, because he came on and he had a really big impact on the game. He was just so good all round. And he hasn't scored really. He didn't score. Did he score in preseason? I'm not sure if he did, but maybe he got um, one. But I can't he, remember. Uh, he's obviously been out for a month now, and that injury was such a blow to him. He'll be gutted with that. So to come back, have such a big impact on the game, and then to score as well, I think it, it's still a difficult chance. It's an inch-perfect ball from Vieira, but he still has to beat a man and then beat Onana, who... Aside from Rice's goal, where I think he should have done better, I thought he had a pretty good game today. So it, it that was like just phenomenal. But then again, we did the same thing again. We we took the emotion away, straight back at it. We headed every ball, we cleared every second ball, and we let United come at us. But we saw it out, and the intensity and the ferocity that I wanted to see. We didn't deliver it. And at the end of the 90, I was really glad that the team stayed with that maturity that I probably, as an irrational fan during the game, didn't want to see. I wanted to see fire and fury. But what we got was maturity and trust in what Arteta wanted them to do. So, yeah. So, yeah. Just, but it also felt like a whirlwind, just phenomenal. Yeah, such a good end to a game. And, you know, we Arsenal fans were being spoiled with these moments. And there were, you know, there were many times, um, we're talking about pre-Arteta years, where it's looking quite dead. You can tell it, it, we're, we're, we're kind of playing for a draw. It doesn't seem like we're going to score a goal and you're begging for something magical to happen. And it doesn't end up happening. And Arsenal, for, I don't know, I don't know how we've developed this 
um, style of winning. <laughs> but, I, you know, I hope to see it um, many more times again this yeah. season. I'm just re-watching this goal over and over again. And, you know, Jesus is is... He's so calm and composed in that situation there to just because it's so easy for him to lose that ball. It's so easy to for Dallow to just come sliding in and knock him out or make a really good tackle, but he times it so perfectly. Such a meme worthy goal that is. Um so yeah, it ends Arsenal three, Manchester United one. And so we've arrived. Um it's finally time for Good, 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 and bad. So we are going to pick our good moment, our good, good moment, and our bad moment. So, Adam, why don't you start us off? This time we'll take it in turn. So you give your good moment, and then I'll give my good moment. Okay. Um, I know you're going to end up uh, asking me anyway, so <laughs> rather than trying to avoid um, that happening, tell me what your good moment of the game was. My good moment was Odegaard's equaliser. The venom of the strike. What's your good moment? My good moment was Havertz going in on goal and um, winning that penalty, which wasn't a penalty at the end. But I genuinely thought that that was going to be the turning point for Havertz and he would use that moment to kind of um, yeah push him on and try and you know turn a corner from um, that performance. Um, we didn't actually talk about what it's going to take for... Havertz to get himself out of this rut. Um, that would probably is probably a good good question to ask, isn't it? What, what do you think needs to happen in order to get the best out of him? Is it okay? Because th- here's what I think. I think what needs to happen now is he needs to be taken out of the starting starting lineup. We need to play him in the games where we know um, it's going to be a little bit more simpler a little bit more easier a little bit more less pressured situation which is annoying because no game is less pressured but um maybe a uh, an opposition further down the league table or maybe a cup competition something like that he just mm. needs to have a good performance i think yeah i think Vieira deserves to start in the next game so it could be honestly i think he needs a goal he needs an assist something like that or a moment in a game, like I said today about Inkeria had that moment where he chases the ball down. It's a lost cause. He wins it and it ends up with Lindelof being booked and Arsenal winning a free kick halfway into United's half. Even sometimes like really, really small moments like that just lift a player. And it's like it happens all the time. It can be it lifts the crowd. It gets them a bit of belief in, a bit of fire in their belly. And I think that's kind of, what Havertz needs is just a moment that kind of makes him believe again because it's funny. I think up until that really sloppy pass, I thought he was quite good in the first half. I know he should have scored that chance, but I thought for the most part, he'd had a good game. And then it was a turning point where I felt that after he gave that sloppy pass away, like the strike he should be scoring that. He should be at least hit, striking the ball and not scuffing it. But there were a couple of moments. There was a really poor touch down the line that went out for a throw-in. There were a couple of other sloppy passes. And I just felt his confidence went even further after he gave that ball away. And yeah, I agree. I think Fabio Vieira has earned the right to play. And in the same way, Havertz probably needs to just be taken out, maybe come on in the last 20 minutes. And also... Laid on a gauntlet for him to earn his spot. I don't think 
I know he cost 65, 67 million, whatever it was, but actually in that Arsenal team, if you think Martinelli is a 100 million player, Saka is a 200 million player, Odegaard's a 150 million player, just because we paid that for Havertz doesn't mean we should be like nailing him as a starter. It's we've got players worth that money in the team that we've developed into that value. So, so yeah, I, I agree with you. Take him out and make him earn his spot for ne- the next game. Okay. Um, so, what is your good, good moment? Good, good. Rice is winner. I, I don't think I, I could think of anything else. What about yours? Yeah, I, I'll have to go with the same as well. I was going to say Jesus's little cut um, to the side to let Dallo continue sliding um, across the pitch. But yeah, I don't think anything beats Rice's goal. And the reason why is because I think we all know, don't we, subconsciously, that he's a West Ham boy. You know, he's he's always going to... It's, it's the same with Kirantini. Kirantini was always going to have Celtic on his heart. Um but we want these players to be Arsenal as well. We want them to be yeah. we want them to be part of the family. So when that goal goes in and when you see him celebrating with the fans, it makes you feel a certain way. It's that further integration. You know, it makes him feel the 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 that much more Arsenal. Um that's not to say he's not gonna feel like that yeah. anyway, but we want him to feel what he feels for West Ham. Yeah, it's, and I think it's like what I was saying about Havertz with moments. I think Declan Rice has arrived instantly. And I think that was, his, I thought Selhurst Park, Park superb. But I, tonight was a different game. And that was a game where he had to play in a dominant ball play inside against a low block, whereas half the game at Palace, he was defending a lead. And that's what he did at West Ham, which was play a low block. Whereas today, that was a massive, like, statement-like performance. And I, I agree with kind of really feeling part of the club. It's moments that make players. Like, you can be a superb player, but actually people remember goals, trophies, and those things. They're the things that are kind of etched into history. And we will be seeing that goal in 15 years' time in the same way that we see some of those winners from 2006, for example, when, um, is it Henri gets the winner and so on? Like Those goals will be shared on mm. social media in 15 years' time, and that was a big moment for me with Declan Rice. I agree with you there. Perfect. Okay, and finally, your bad moment. Um, is it bad or ugly? Are we going bad or ugly? No, we're going bad. I mean, bad. for a defeat, it would be good, bad, ugly. But okay. seeing as we won. Um, I'm going to go with... Um, I want to go with Saka on Bruno Fernandes because mm. I, I didn't like seeing that from Saka. And I think if that was the other way around, I'd be calling Bruno all sorts of things because... I felt Saka knew what he was doing and we, we praise him so much, but I think he like he steps in his foot and then he has a nibble with the other foot as well in the back of the calf. So I don't like seeing that from Arsenal players and I think if we're going to call opposition players out for these things, it's only right that we do it. Um, we called out Martinelli last year on the pub and 
he had that one at Brighton where he kind of backs into his man. And um, so, yeah, I didn't like seeing that from Saka today. But what was yours? Just before I say what was mine, I felt like um, Saka was a bit unlucky there, actually. I, I feel like because he slipped. I know you're saying that he's, so he was pulled he's, down. he's purposely he, caught his man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's pulled down, but he extends his foot. And then he does have a nibble mm. with the other foot as well. So I think he knew exactly what he was doing. And if you think if that was Bruno, a player we all love to hit, what we'd be mm. saying. So I think we got the free kick, but I thought he was rightfully booked for it. <coughs> mm. Okay, so my bad moment of the game. Um, well, I can't say Havertz because that would be too predictable. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to pick someone else or something else. Um, oh, it's a strange one because I don't know if there were. I, I, and again, I don't want to be the guy. I don't. I don't. I don't want to paint myself as anti Havertz, but very little was done wrong aside from Havertz in midfield. Um. I feel like a lot a lot of the control we maintained in midfield. Um Odegaard was great. Partey was Partey? <laughs> My bad moment is not Partey not being on the pitch. Um no, Rice was great, Eddie was great, Martinelli was brilliant. Uh, maybe do you know what? It's going to shock a few people, but there are a few moments in the game where Saliba gave the ball away and could have been exposed as well on a few occasions where he was overcommitting himself. Um, he's still, you know, I think anyway, one of the best centre-backs, if not the best centre-back in the Premier League. Um, but few bad moments in the game where the ball was given away and, yeah. and he was having to kind of chaotically run after it. So, yeah, that's my bad moment <laughs> of the game. Um, and so it's that time of the show again where we must, fortunately, say goodbye. Um, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened up until this point. Thank you very, very much. If you did enjoy this episode, please do make sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you thought of the show by reaching out to us on Twitter. You can find us over there at Arsenal Therapy. You can also find Adam over there at Adam Keys underscore. And you can find myself over there at Gunner Since 96. As always, we will be back next week to give you your usual weekly dose of Arsenal therapy. But if you can't wait until then, make sure to head over to the Arsenal Therapy YouTube channel for the 15-minute show, where we'll be taking you through all the latest bits of Arsenal updates. That's every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8.30 a.m. And yes, you guessed it, the show is indeed 15 minutes long. Uh, Make sure to also head over to the Arsenal Therapy website too for the blog posts where we'll be breaking down our thoughts and feelings about the game and so much more so until then take care have a great week um enjoy the international break and we'll speak to you soon thank you very much bye bye